The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Appreciate your prayers for us and our family. One more week of chaos for us, and then hopefully things will settle down some. I have to test or go to a couple of places for clinical trials. This week, MD Anderson in Philadelphia. Next week, and uh, after that, we'll make some decisions about the future and what we'll be doing. Appreciate your coming along in this journey with us and praying for us and uh, continue to do so. We talked about a summer series, and our summer series uh, this, this uh, summer is called Hero. We were talking about the various heroes of the Old Testament and realized, well, there's only one hero, really. And the hero of the scripture is whom? Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, as we were brainstorming about what to do in the summer months, uh, we ran across this passage. And one of my favorite things, if I could eavesdrop on any conversation in the, Old, in the New Testament, any conversation, it would be the walk to Emmaus. Here Jesus is walking and two disciples he comes upon. And listen to what it says in Luke 24, 27. And beginning at Moses and through all the prophets, Jesus expounded to them throughout the scriptures everything concerning himself. Jesus took the Old Testament, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, and he said, let me explain to you the pictures of me in the Old Testament. So for the summer months, we're going to do a series called Hero. And in that series, we're going to look at the hero of the scriptures, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at him. Stephen is going to kick our series off as he's done the last three or four series we've done. So I appreciate Stephen being here. Next, uh, next couple of weeks, we'll be looking at various issues of who Christ is, pictures from the Old Testament. Lord willing, two Sundays from now, I'm back with you in the pulpit for most of the summer months. And uh, we're just praying that God continues to do it. I did found that you do lose a lot of weight even when you do it this way. So I'm grateful for that. Would you welcome Stephen to the pulpit? Good morning. Well, I'm also wearing my Hawaiian shirt for Casey. It's the one, one day of the year he gets to dictate what everyone wears for Bon Voyage Sunday. And uh, it's a controlled power thing, you know. And so uh, this, is, this is my muted British version of, of a Hawaiian, Hawaiian shirt. This, this is me being passive aggressive, you know. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, we're going to kick up our series this morning. Uh, Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. We're going to begin right at the beginning. And it says, uh, well, not right at the beginning, actually, verse uh, 26. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Let's pray. So, Father, we come before you this morning once again anxious to hear from you. Father, we pray again that you would speak your word into our lives, that it wouldn't just be me up here talking, but it would be your spirit moving in our hearts and in our minds to transform us and make us like Jesus. Father, we pray for an encounter with you again this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, towards the end of last year, my wife and I had the privilege of 
of going to the Ukraine on a mission trip. And after years of hearing about the relationship the Temple Bible Church has had with uh, our brothers and sisters there, our sister churches there in the Ukraine, uh, going on for a couple of decades now, it was great to actually get to go and see it, experience it, to meet and get to spend time with our brothers and sisters there in the Ukraine. And uh, as, as we were uh, walking, we went on a walking tour through uh, the city, Belia Surkov, that city where our sister church is located, we came across this uh, statue here. This is a statue of Lenin with the hammer and, and sickle there. This is actually quite rare. Not many of these left in the former Soviet Eastern Bloc countries. Most of them have been torn down. And so I, I took this photo, not because I'm some sort of commie like some of you think I am, but because, <laughs> but, but because, because this is a genuine piece of history. And, uh, and, and so th- th- this, is, th- this is very rare. You don't come across these very often now. As I said, once the Soviet Union collapsed, they were very quick to get rid of these statues. They were very quick to get rid of these images, images of people who had ruled over them, images that represented the ideologies that had dominated their lives for decades. And the way it worked was that the further away you were from Moscow, The further away you were from the Kremlin, the more of these statues you would see. The further away you were from the heart and seat of the empire, the more often you would come across images like this. But you see, if you were in Moscow, near the Kremlin, near near the seat of power, there was no doubt in your mind who was in charge. That wasn't a question, no debate. And, And you may even get to see one of these leaders in person if they made a public appearance, easily recognizable. No introduction needed. But the further out you got from Moscow, the further away you were from the seat of power, the less likely it was you would ever get to lay eyes on one of these leaders, and the more likely it was that there would be these seeds of rebellion just sitting there beneath the surface. And so these statues served a purpose, other than someone's massive ego, right? You've got to have a bit of megalomania there to make all these images of yourself and stick them all over the world, right? But, But they served another purpose, These statues made in the image of their rulers told people, this is your ruler, don't forget who's in charge. Let me introduce you, this is your ruler, don't forget who's in charge. When we were walking around Kiev, this is another image that we came across. I think Gary said if he was in charge, this is is the image, SpongeBob, all over the place. Um, It's the same in in Rome, actually. Um, When archaeologists dig up these statues of of, uh, Caesar, of the Roman emperor, they tend not to find them. They tend not to find them in Rome itself. Hardly any of them there. They find them everywhere else, spread throughout the Roman Empire. They just don't find them in Rome. Again, if you were in Rome, no question in your head, no doubt who was in charge. It's not a debate. You may even get to see one of these rulers in person. So, so you're, you're at the games last Saturday. Did you go to the circus last Saturday? Yeah. Did you look up at the box? Yeah, there he was, the emperor, watching the games along with us. But the further out you got from Rome, the less likely it was that you would ever lay eyes on one of these rulers. And this is why they stamped uh, the emperor's image on these, uh, on these coins, not the dead emperor, the living emperor. They stuck his head on their coins. And what these coins did and what these statues did is they 
multiplied the image of the emperor and they carried the image of the emperor to the ends of the earth and they said, this is your ruler, don't forget who's in charge. And God made man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. We're told in Genesis that that God creates and God commands. God creates us in his image and he commands us to multiply, to subdue, and to rule the earth. Now, it's very important that we see those two things, what God creates and what God commands, as we see them bound up tightly together. It's very important that, that we see the, what God, the way God has created us and what God has commanded us to do, that we don't try and separate those two things in our minds. Those two are inseparable ideas. It, it says that God created us in his image. And it is that image... The image of God that he wants to multiply. It is the image of God that he wants to fill the earth with. It is the image of God that he wants to subdue the earth with. It is the image of God that he wants to rule the earth with. Can can you just stop and just imagine, just for a moment, just for a second, just imagine what this world would look like if it was filled with nothing but the perfect good image of God, if it was subdued and ruled with nothing but the perfect good image of God. Imagine what this world would be like. And so, so like those coins and like those statues, which multiplied the image of the emperor and carried the image of the emperor to the ends of the earth, we were meant to do the same thing, only in a far richer way, right? Because we would be imaging God and we're not statues. And in a way, what these kings and emperors have done over the years with their own statues and coins and images is really like a parody. It's, it's like a, a bad version of the real I think it's really interesting that Scripture defines us this way. It defines humanity, image of God. I mean, there are any number of ways that Scripture could have defined humanity, right? It could have said to be human. Well, a human being is an intellectual being with thoughts. Or a human being is an emotional being with feelings. Or Genesis could have said a human being is a relational being with friendships and relationships. A human being is a communicative being with language. A human being is a creative being. I mean, on and on the list goes. It could have described us any number of ways. But it gathers up all these strands of humanity in this one simple phrase, image of God. It just sums up our humanity in those three words, image of God. If you and I, first and foremost, we are bearers of God's image. And if any of these other descriptions count for anything, they count for something in as far as they reflect God's image. I think this is a really interesting, fascinating description of humanity because I define, here's what I do. I tend to define humanity in completely the opposite direction. I define humanity in completely the opposite direction. And here's what I mean by that. You know, when, when, I, when I make a mistake or when I screw up, when I really foul things up, which I do from time to time, you know what I often say in my defense? I say, well, look, come on, what do you expect? After all, I'm only... Yeah, you can finish my sentence for me. I'm only, you've used that line before, right? So, so sometimes uh, as a pastor, I'll get people come into my office and they're very 
transparent and they will be honest about some sin in their life and they're broken over it. And, and I'll, I'll sometimes interject, look, don't beat yourself up too much. You know, you're not the first person to have done this. You won't be the last. This is to be expected. After all, you're only human. We have that phrase, don't we, which says, to err is human. You know, sometimes when I'm watching a movie, reading a good book, and there's a hero, which I admire, I like the hero in the story, sometimes I I like it when they show me just a a glimpse of the hero's failings or foibles. And I I like this because because then I can think to myself, oh, even this hero who I admire, they they fail in some of the same ways I do too. They, They make the same dumb mistakes that I do too. And so I kind of feel like I can connect and identify a bit more closely with the hero. I guess we like that because we feel like what they're doing there, the storyteller's doing, is is kind of giving us a glimpse of that hero's humanity. The hero's humanity. So you see, sometimes uh, our definition of human is actually shaped around our screw-ups, our mistakes, our foibles, our failings, our brokenness. And this is why I say that the Scripture seems to define humanity in completely the opposite direction. It just sums it up like this, image of God. If, uh, if we were playing Jeopardy, everyone knows Jeopardy, right? It's a good American institution. Jeopardy, for uh, $1,000 up on the screen comes the phrase, image of God. And the correct response would be, what is human? Right, you just won yourself $1,000. That's pretty good. What is human? To be human is to bear the image of God. You know, uh, I think it was about a year and a half ago, maybe about, yeah, about 18 months ago, I, I got up here and I tried to explain something. Notice I said tried to explain something, but I didn't explain it very well. And so what I'm hoping this morning is I'm going to get to explain this a little bit more clearly. Um, but you've you got to believe that it's one of my favorite parts of the job is when I get up here, I try to explain something, but I'm not clear enough, I'm not explicit or detailed enough, and then I get all these angry emails of people kind of bent out of shape and upset with me. Uh, This particular occasion, they didn't come to me, they actually all went to Gary, so I have no idea, I have no idea who said what, Um, but I know when this sort of thing happens, it's usually been because I've not been clear enough or explicit enough, Um, and and so... uh, this is fun. I, I, get, I get a do-over. In my defense, of course, I'm only human. Um, <laughs> so, so here goes. Here, here's a phrase that got people a little bent out of shape and upset. Um, I said that you and I, all of us here this morning, we have become, all of us, something less than human. We have become something less than human. And people are like, wait a second, what's he saying? Are we animals? Is he reducing us to the level of animals? And if you made that connection, I can see how you made that connection. That makes sense. And and if you heard me say, we have become something less than human, and and you thought he's reducing us to the level of animals, obviously I wasn't clear enough. Because what I meant to say, what, what, what I wanted to say is actually... Far more insulting than that. So, so let, me have a, let, let, me have another sh- let me have another shot of this and see if I can, I can insult you properly this time. I want to use, use Paul's words. Okay, Paul, Paul says this. He says, without God, without Christ, you are dead in your sin. Without Christ, you are dead in your sin. Let's ignore that ugly word at the end of the sentence, sin. Let's just take the first word there, dead. Dead. When, when you look at a dead body, 
You think to yourself, ah, here's a fully flourishing human being. Is this, is this what passes? When you, if you've been to those funerals and they have the casket up here at the front and it's open and you get to file past, do, do you think to yourself, ah, oh, this, is, this is humanity thriving? Or, or do you think to yourself, this, this, the lights have gone out. The, the, the life has been extinguished. The person's not even there. This is an empty, vacuous shell. Do you think to yourself, when you see it, do you think to yourself, this is a corpse in front of me? This is a, well, wait a second. I'm not a corpse. I'm alive. I'm living. I'm breathing. My heart is pumping blood through my veins. I'm alive. Paul says, yeah, yeah, you think you're alive, but without Christ, you are dead. In your sin. Elsewhere, he says, if you only live to indulge the sinful nature, sinful pleasures, then you are dead even as you live. Dead even as you live. In other words, you're like the walking dead, the living dead. I think the modern vernacular would put it zombie. I told you, this is insulting, right? So, so here's another way that Paul puts it. He puts it this way. He says, without God, without Christ, you were enemies of God. Enemies of God. I prefer dead in your sin. What, what does a dead person do? Nothing. Right, right, you see. But dead enemy of God, this is, this is even more sinister. This is far more troubling, far more disturbing. Uh, so you see, when, when I say that we have become something less than human, I'm, I'm just trying to be polite, right? I'm, I'm just trying to take the edge off this a little bit. But if you prefer dead in your sin or enemy of God, that's, that's fine. Take your pick. Dead in your sin. Enemy of God, something less than human. They all mean the same thing. I'm just trying to tease out what these implications might be for us and what has happened. Some of you might be thinking, well, I, I don't... This has all turned rather sour here this morning. I, I, I don't like this. So, so let, let me just affirm you there. I just want to affirm you there. That is exactly the right response. You are not... I don't like this. You don't, I don't like this. You don't like this. Good. We don't like, we're agreed on that. I don't like this. We're not meant to like this. So why does Scripture say such unpleasant things about us? You know, the best thing I think I can do for us this morning is to just take a snapshot, give you three or four snapshots, a snapshot of my life maybe, a snapshot of your life over there, a snapshot of the guy over here. By the way, I'm not actually pointing to anyone in particular. This one, just to show you. I'm not. But, but just a, three or four snapshots of our lives together. And let's see if you can't join the dots. So when I speak unkindly and harshly to someone, as I have done, and maybe you've done that too, when I speak unkindly and harshly and cruel, unkind words come out of my mouth and they fall on that person's ears and now I have hurt them and I have wounded them, am I in that moment, and here's my question to you, am I reflecting the image of God? Now before you answer, I just want to be very explicit about what I'm asking here. Am I reflecting the love of God, the goodness of God, the justice of God, the beauty of God, the creativity of God, the kindness of God, the grace of God, the wisdom of God? Am I reflecting the image of God to that person as those words come tumbling out of my mouth? No, right? No, absolutely not. And, and in that moment, and in that moment, you've got to know that I'm not thinking to myself, Ah, here in front of me is the beautiful, wonderful image of God which I must uphold, which I must protect, which I must cherish, which I must honor. I'm not thinking that. I've forgotten about the image of God in them. I'm ignoring the image of God in them. Now, what is happening when that goes on? Let's go back to our definition. For $1,000 up on the screen pops image of God, and you say, what is human? Right, so, so... 
So to be human is to bear the image of God. So what is going on when I ignore the image of God in someone else and I fail to reflect the image of God back to them? What's going on is I am dehumanizing them and I am dehumanizing myself and together we are becoming something less than human. Let me take a snapshot of someone else's life here this morning. Some of you are still using porn. I mean, coming here for a while, you're, still, you're going to go home and tonight you're going to use porn again. I just want you to know that when you do that, when you use a woman like that, because you don't know them and you don't, can't possibly care for them, right, you are reducing them to nothing but their body and you are objectifying them. And when we objectify women like that or in any other way, we make a woman feel lousy because they're not the right height to weight ratio or whatever, When we do that as men, we are failing to reflect the image of God to those women. And we have forgotten about the image of God in those women. And and as we do that, we are dehumanizing them. We are dehumanizing ourselves. And together we are becoming something less than human. there's, There's no way that you can look at the time when you gossiped. And because of your gossip, there was enmity between two people. Maybe what you said was partially true, but you gossip. Now they're at each other's throats. You can't look at that and say, this is what God meant by human. You can't look at the time when you tore your husband or your wife down in front of other people, or maybe behind closed doors. You were constantly, verbally, emotionally abusive. You can't possibly look at that and say, this is what God meant by human. You can't possibly, you can't possibly look at the person who is isolated, cut off alone and say, this is what God meant by human. You can't think about the time when you walked out on your husband and your wa- or your wife and your kids. And they pleaded with you, don't abandon us, but you hardened your heart and you abandoned them anyway. You can't possibly look at that and say, this is what God meant by human. Because to be human is to bear the image of God. And I tell you something, God looks absolutely nothing like that. God said, let us make man in our image. In the image of God, he created us. Male and female, he created them. And and he blessed them and he said, multiply my image. Fill the earth with my image. Subdue the earth with my image. Rule the earth with my image. And, And God wasn't saying there, I would like to multiply a broken, distorted image of myself into this world. He wasn't saying, I want to fill this world and rule this world with a warped, twisted, corroded image of myself. That was never the plan. That was never the plan. Some of you probably saw this uh, a couple of weeks ago now, two or three weeks ago. That's not the... uh (laughs) Is there another slide up there? That's the one. Thank you. Some of you saw this a few weeks ago. This is the uh, factory, the garment factory in Bangladesh, which collapsed and killed over 1,200 people. Right? And um, I was just thinking, you know, how, how many layers of dehumanization had to go on in order for this, something like this to happen? But if, if you find that question confusing, let me ask it the other way around. How many instances of people failing to reflect the image of God into this world? How many instances of people failing to reflect and forgetting about the image of God and ignoring the image of God in other people? How many instances like that had to happen in order for something like this to occur? How many do you think? I don't think we can count them all up, but I'm going to try and count just a few of them for you. It's the last snapshot of our lives together here this morning. So, so first of all, there's, there's the guy in Bangladesh who owned a factory, right? 
And, and he adds floor after floor after floor. And someone says to him, you know you, you know, you can't do this right. This is structurally unsound. You are endangering the lives of the people who are working for you. But at that moment, he's not really listening, right? He's just punching numbers into a calculator, number of floors multiplied by number of workers multiplied by number of garments produced equals, look how much money I can make. And in that moment, he is failing to reflect the image of God into this world. And he is forgotten and he is ignoring the image of God in those people who are working for him. But you peel that back and there's another layer of dehumanization. Because, of course, there's the corporations and there's the CEOs who farm this work out to someone else who farms this work out to some guy in Bangladesh who owns a factory. Right? And the reason why they do this, of course, is to take advantage of people's uh, situation and so we get cheap labor. But it's not just cheap labor. It's also that if something happens in the process, if, if, someone, if someone is hurt, if someone is harmed, if someone is abused in the process, if someone is killed in the process, then no one can hold them legally responsible for anything. All of the advantage, none of the responsibility. Of course, they do have legal responsibilities. All CEOs do, but, but not to the people who are producing for them, working for them, but to their shareholders. And the shareholders demand the bottom line, right? They, they demand the multiplication of the dollar, the, the multiplication of market share. Nothing about the multiplication of the image of God. But we peel this back and there's another layer of dehumanization. You see, I can't stand in judgment over any of these people. Because here's what I do. I walk into a store and I pick up a shirt. Hey, I don't really need another shirt, right? Because my wardrobe is bulging. I've got enough shirts to last me a lifetime. I don't need another shirt. But I'm more consumer now than I am human. I'm more consumer than I am human. And so I try on this shirt and I look in the mirror and I'm like, man, I look good in this. And I look at the price tag, I'm thinking, that's a small price to pay to look this good. And, and, and so I, I, I go up to the counter, I hand over my hard-earned money, and I walk out of the store pleased with my bargain, my purchase, and behind me the factory collapses and 1,200 people are killed. But I'm good with it. I'm good with it because I think of them as the faceless masses, that's how I dehumanize them, whose lives are somehow intrinsically worth less than mine. Did I just say that out loud? And, and so I think of them as a faceless masses. In fact, I try not to think about them at all because I don't want to turn around and look and see what I have done to the image of the living God. God said, let us make man in our image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. You know, I'm not saying we shouldn't do business. I'm just saying... We shouldn't do business like this. And we know why. Because God said, multiply my image. Fill the earth with my image. Subdue the earth and rule the earth with nothing but my image. And God lives absolutely nothing like that. You know, I think just a moment's reflection on just these, what, four or five snapshots of our lives together, right? Just a moment's reflection will tell us that I think we're in over our heads. I mean, this, this is something that goes way beyond us. This is, we, we, we may not be able to fix this. I know some people will come along and tell you we need, what we need is a bit tighter regulation and a few more rules. I don't think we can fix this with a few more rules, all this, those snapshots that I gave you. I, I, don't, I, don't, I really don't think we can fix this with a bit of self-improvement and self-help 
and self-affirmation. I don't think we're going to fix this with a bit more therapy and a few more sessions on the psychiatrist's couch. I don't think we can fix this with medication. We can't fix this with education. We can't fix this with a different political system or a different political party or a, uh, a better economic theory. I'm not saying that these things don't have their place. I'm just saying this is way beyond that. These things won't touch this. But we, we need to see the human condition on, on the cosmic scale that it is. And it is precisely the problem with the human condition. It's precisely that we are no longer functioning as fully-fledged human beings. You know, I, I think our culture right now has, has kind of become sensitive to this a little, little bit more lately, just recently. Right? Our culture has become a little bit more aware of just how broken we are. I think this is why there are so many movies and TV shows right now, award-winning shows, by the way, and, and the most popular shows on TV. They're all about zombies. Have you noticed that? There's zombie this and zombie apocalypse that. Have you, have you noticed this? There's zombie everything, right? And I think this is our own cultural expression of, of the, the angst we feel about the human condition. There's, there's, there's this sense of how broken we are. All these movies are about is people losing their humanity, trying to hold on to the last vestiges of their humanity. I think our culture has even become a little bit more sensitive to, 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 the, to how broken we really are. And, and I think this could be a good thing for our culture. I think this could be a good thing. Because it's only in that moment where we recognize how broken we are, how deep this problem goes, how profound this problem is, that we might catch a glimpse of what God is doing. And here's what God is doing. And I, I, this, is, this is the good news, okay? There's this wonderful passage in Colossians, right? Colossians chapter 1. Uh, which is all about the deity of Christ. It's about the deity of Christ. I love this passage. Um, I've actually got my wife's Bible up here this morning, and, and in my wife's Bible, she's actually got here uh, deity written in the, in the margins. I think she's right. I think this is all about the deity of Christ. All except, that is, I think that first line, the Son is the image of the invisible God. Is that about Christ's deity or is that about his humanity? Image of the invisible God. This is Genesis language. The image, to, the image of God, what is human, right? Image of God. To be, to be human is to bear the image of God. You see, Jesus was the only one who has ever perfectly, fully reflected God's goodness, God's justice, God's beauty, God's love, God's grace, God's mercy, God's kindness, God's wisdom. He's the only one who has fully reflected God's image into the world. And, and, and that is why I've said it before, and, I, and I'll say it again, I'm going to keep saying it. Jesus Christ is the first fully-fledged human being. He's the one we've been waiting for. He, he's the one we've been waiting for. You know, it's funny, sometimes when we wait for a hero, sometimes when people look for heroes, when we think of heroes, we think of, of the this, of this super, superhuman. But uh, it's interesting because the only hero that the Bible ever talks about isn't superhuman. He's just human. And if you think I just denied the deity of Christ just now, you haven't been listening very well this morning. This is why Scripture refers to Jesus as the second Adam. Okay, so it's a more... Um, some more uh, references from, uh, let's see if we can get to it, more references from, from Genesis, right? He's not just the image of God, Genesis language, he's the second Adam. Adam was the, the first Adam, the first Adam, he was the beginning of the human project, right? 
The, the, the project, that is, to multiply God's image into the world. He was the beginning of the human project. God's project to multiply his image into this world, to rule the world with his image. But we have, as we've said, multiplied a broken image, a distorted image, a corroded image, a twisted and sickly image into this world. And so when Scripture says that we failed at the task of being human, and so when Scripture says that Jesus is the second Adam, what it's saying is, is that Jesus is the new beginning for humanity. Jesus is the new beginning for humanity. From here on out, Jesus defines what it means to be human. He's the very definition of human because he's the image of God. Up on the screen pops the word human. What is Jesus Christ would be the correct response. He's the first fully fledged human being. I want to uh, finish with this uh, wonderful passage from uh, Colossians. And it's, uh, sorry, from, from, Rome, from Romans. And it says this. It says, The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. It's kind of a weird concept, I know, at first, but you know, later on it says, Scripture, it says, Scripture says that, just a verse after this actually, it says that creation is groaning for its redemption. So we've got this picture of creation itself waiting Creation's waiting for something. It's waiting in eager expectation for what? For the sons of God to be revealed. It's waiting to be brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. Who are the children of God? Who are these sons of God? You know, when people see me and then they meet my parents, you know, they often say, they say, oh, you look just like your dad or you look just like your mom. Some people say, yeah, you look like a blend of the two. You, you, obviously, I carry the image of my dad, the image of my mom around in me, right? I've... I've I carry my parents' image in me. Right? And, and sometimes when you look, when someone wants to say you look just like one of them, or just like your brother, or just like some movie star or whatever, you, what's the phrase we often use? You're the spitting image of. You're the spitting image. So let me retranslate this for you. The creation waits in eager expectation for the spitting image of God to be revealed. The spitting image, the sons of God, the spitting images of God. Uh, creation is waiting to be brought into the glorious freedom of the spitting image, the children of God. The children of God. In other words, what Paul is saying here is, he, he's saying, we, God has not given up on the human project. God is going to multiply his image. Now, I'm, this is just an announcement, by the way. Whether you like it or not, whether you're with this program or not, this is moving forward. This is what God is doing in this world. God is going to multiply his image. God is going to fill the earth with his image. God is going to subdue the earth with his image. And one day he will rule this earth with nothing but his good and perfect image. That's what God is doing. And that is what God is going to do. This is where all this is heading. In case you weren't sure. And, and this is why Jesus says, Jesus says, invites us. He says, follow me. For, this is what God's doing, so follow me. I'm the definition of human. Follow me. Follow me and I will breathe new life into your mortal bodies. Do you, do you, are you at a place where you wish God would just breathe new life into you? Follow me and I'll breathe new life into your mortal bodies. Jesus says, follow me and I will take your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh and blood instead. 
Jesus says, follow me and I will make all things new. Jesus says, follow me and and I will make you a new creation. Jesus says, follow me and you will be born again. Jesus says, follow me and I will restore the image of God in you. Jesus says, follow me. And I want you to hear this invitation for what it is. Follow me and begin the journey to becoming a fully fledged human being. Man, there's so much that we've got to look at in this series. As we go through the Old Testament, we're going to see time and time again how it anticipates Christ and everything Christ did on the cross, his resurrection, his ascension. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. We're going to look at all of that. But for right now, I just, I just want you to hear this invitation. The invitation of Christ to come and follow him. Become part of the human project, which God hasn't given up on. That is a project to multiply his good and beautiful image into this world. Let's come before God in prayer. Let's pray. This time I'm just going to invite the worship team to come up again. And if you're an elder here, I'd invite you also to to come to the front. Come and stand here at the front if you're an elder. I'd just like you to come up now. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, Father, we, we thank you for your creation, which you love, which you care about, And in the beginning, you said was good and very good. Father, this morning we're struck by the responsibility that you've given us to rule over your creation. What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you would care for him? You have made him a little lower than the angels and put us over your creation. Father, we come to you the only way we can come to you. Recognizing our brokenness, recognizing we have corroded, corrupted and twisted your beautiful image in ourselves and in each other. Maybe you're here this morning and you've decided that that enough's enough. You've been considering God, you've been considering this Jesus person for a while. And today... Today, you want to answer Christ's call on your life. You hear his invitation. You hear his voice calling you, and your response is, Please, Jesus, breathe new life into me. Please, Jesus, give me a new heart. Please, Jesus, restore the image of God in me. If that's your heart's cry, and you want to begin that journey today, there are going to be elders at the front here to pray with you. So during this song... Or at the end of the service, feel free to come during this song and at the end to pray with the elders and begin that journey. So, Father, I pray for all of us here this morning that we would discover the joy of following Jesus and reflecting you. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.